Welcome to episode 114 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. How was your week, Shane? Looks like you've got a bit of a library on the go there. Yeah, yeah. I received a couple books this week. Um, I received my Amici Prism and I also received a Herschel Wedge this week too. Oh, wow. Um, so it was like early Christmas and, uh, yeah, that was good. Good. Um, yeah. 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 Maybe, maybe too, before we get too deep into this, I just want to thank you for, uh, letting me know I made a mistake on the episode last episode with Bill Weir on the title. Uh, I said that he has a 25 inch F 3.3 star master and, uh, it's actually a 20 inch. I got that wrong. So that's been updated. Um, and, uh, just a point of clarification for everybody. Well, I, I wouldn't worry too much about it. And I, I think where, and, and I was, to be fair, I was a little bit confused as well because I haven't seen his Star Master, but I have seen the other telescope. So he has access to a 25 inch, which is in a tube, which I visited. Um, but honestly, when, when you're looking at a, a giant Newtonian equatorial mount like that, which I've, I've never seen anything larger than about a, an eight or a tinch, uh, an eight or a ten-inch equatorial mount of Newtonium before. Um, when you're looking at a telescope that's twenty or twenty-five inches um, in a dark dome, uh, it, it's pretty hard to tell the difference. So I thought it must have been a twenty-inch that was in that dome, but apparently that was the twenty-five, and that his own uh, personal scope uh, looks like looks like that's the twenty. But uh, Bill's got big scopes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Uh, Gee, you know, to, to be able to just have a, you know, the 20 inch like that, like the, the F 3.3 would be incredible. Um, like really in the photograph with Bill standing beside, or is that the 15 inch? Yeah. No, that was the, the, that was the 20. Yeah. It's uh it just looks like such an ideal telescope with, mm. um, you know, how, <clears throat> how low to the ground it is. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. So you don't need a ladder. Um, yeah, it's the, it's the dream scope. Yeah, I think you should get one. <laughs> yeah, well, never rule anything out with me. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I do, I do go through the gear, so maybe yeah. one day. Yeah, good stuff, and and thanks to you, Shane, as well. Uh, we've had uh, some great feedback on on our new sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and again, that's all uh, really uh, attributed to Razvan. Uh, those, um, those recommendations that he made really worked well, I think. So we'll just keep doing that. Yeah, it definitely does sound a bit better. I, I took a listen to uh, just a couple excerpts from, from uh, the most recent podcasts. And yeah, I definitely can tell the difference. I know that, that uh, one of the bottlenecks I have is, uh, is uh, one of the computers I have just has, has very poor sound. Um, so probably... Uh, should uh, should use one of my other machines uh, for doing that. Ideally, I should just get a dedicated computer for for doing these podcasts at some point in the future, maybe. Yeah, um, no no shortage of upgrade paths uh, there for us as well. <laughs> yeah, when you're buying telescope gear, though, the the computers become a secondary hobby of interest. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about these books. Okay, um, so the first one. Uh, was added or I bought this one on a uh, recommendation by Phil from the UK, one of our frequent listeners, frequent emailers. Um, so Phil is a big lunar guy. He loves, he loves the moon 
And uh, he told us, and I think we read a little bit of a review of this book that Phil submitted uh, a while ago. But anyway, it's Map of the Moon uh, by H. Percy Wilkins. Um, so this guy, he, uh, he made like a hundred inch map or a giant map of the moon that he hand sketched in the, oh gee, I'm going to get this wrong probably, but prior to 1950 anyway, um, I think during like the twenties, thirties, forties, he was, uh, he was doing a lot of sketching. Mm. Um, and I think he did it with a 12 inch or was it a 15 inch reflector? Um, anyway, the book itself, um, the the binding and the quality of the book is maybe the best I've ever seen. Like it's an outstanding reproduction. Yeah, it looks good. You sent me a photo of it. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, yeah, high quality paper. Um, what's also neat for any reflector lovers is like this is sketched how he saw it through the eyepiece. So that means left, right, reverse, up, down, reversed. So if you're a reflector person, this is oriented, you know, for your view right now, which is pretty neat. Um, he does get a little bit of criticism with his sketches for how busy they are, like with certain parts of the, uh, the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you learn kind of how to interpret it, because he has a lot of, um, you know, symbolism for ridges and craters and, you know, various other things, um, it, it, it kind of becomes easier to, to, uh, understand what you're looking at. Um, but like, it's, it's just an appreciation really of such an, an amazing project um, that he did to, to map the moon, to sketch it all at this level of detail. And what's pretty interesting is he talks about like the, the evolution of all of these um, uh, features that you can see, you know, with the different differing levels of sunlight and uh, shadow and contrast um, that some of this stuff is often, you know, quite fleeting to be able to, to observe. So, you know, I, I, I gained a whole new appreciation for lunar observing, just reading some of the excerpts and paging through this. Um, Cause it's not, you know, back then it wasn't just take a photograph and, and, you know, sketch it or, or, um, you know, any kind of easy path down, like to accomplish this, like this was, this was a huge investment of time and expertise. Well, you know, maybe expertise is the wrong word, but just dedication to mm-hmm. observing the moon and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for $20 hardcover, something like, I think it was, or maybe $25 Canadian, wow, uh, really cool it. book. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, as far as using it to actually, um, you know, observe the moon, I might stick with some other resources that I have, but this is certainly usable. There's no question about it. It's uh, cool. it's an interesting book. Yeah. Cool. So what was the other book? Uh, the other one came on recommendation from our good observing pal, Mike, um, here in Regina. And uh, this one is an anthology of visual double stars uh, by Bob Argyle, Mike Swan, okay. and Andrew James. Um, I actually haven't really delved into this one yet. Mike got this book for Christmas, but it has a hundred and let me just see here about 173 or 75 double stars. And yep. then for each one of them, it's a two page layout. So it'll tell you, you know, all of the physical parameters for the star. Uh, mm-hmm. It'll tell you the history, so who first discovered it, um, and then whatever other details surround it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a finder chart. Um, then there's some modern era, you know, measurements and things like that. Uh, and then it's uh, got observing and, and neighborhood. So it talks about like other near, near double stars, uh, early measurements, recent measurements. 
so for anybody that, you know, has a, a, you know, an interest in double stars, this is kind of a neat resource just Mm -hmm. to provide a little bit more information, um, around the double stars that you're observing. Uh, the other thing that I, maybe I'll have more to report on once I actually read this book, but what's interesting to me. So, you know, an anthology of visual double stars, and then the, the double star that's pictured on the cover is Elberio, which I'm kind of scratching my head at because, you know, Elberio is not a true double. I guess it is a visual double. So maybe I guess it aligns with the title, but mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. I think Bob Argyle, he's with the web society and I, I did just confirm that by, by looking it up or something. Uh, Cause I, I have one of his books as well. Older book. I have like his first book. <laughs> Okay. Well, and this one is like, this is a large book and it's 470 pages. Um, so there's oh, wow. a lot of content here. Um, and I suspect this is just me, you know, speculating. Um, this is going to be one of those astronomy books that in two or three years will be out of print and probably worth, you know, a whole lot more money than I would be willing to pay. So yeah. this is one of those opportunities that if you, you know, you have the interest or you think you would want to read it, uh, I would grab it before it's gone because you just never know with these astronomy books. Yeah. Cool. Good recommendation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And then I, I received that Amici prism. Um, so like you, I was thinking of converting my mini Borg into a finder. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I intentionally ordered a 45 degree Amici prism. Oh. And I thought, I thought it might be a little more comfortable because the way I was thinking of mounting the finder, it would be a little bit more forward, like, you mm-hmm. know, down my bigger OTA. Yeah. Um, and then having a 45 degree angle, um, prism would just, you know, be easier for my eye to reach uh, the yeah. eyepiece. But the problem with the 45 millimeter or sorry, 45 degree prism is it adds a lot more distance to your, your light path. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, it does the 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 typical configuration for my mini Borg where I can achieve focus um, is it, it it just doesn't work with the Amici prism. So then I have to reconfigure, and I don't believe I can actually get it to work with the mini Borg with the pieces oh, okay. I have. So I'd have to buy buy more pieces, and I'm just kind of like I don't know if this pursuit is worth it. Um, you know, it, it would be it would be a, a nice finder, but if I really want to use it as a finder, I, I can right now, really. Like I just, I'm lacking the Amici prism or maybe I yeah. get a 90 degree Amici prism. I'm not sure, but yeah. um, you know, that's kind of where I'm at uh, with, with that anyway. Oh, that's kind of disappointing. Yeah. Well, you never know till you try, I suppose. And uh, you know, I, I think I'll still enjoy the 45 degree uh, prism um, just for like daytime viewing. It's certainly more comfortable for terrestrial stuff. Um, yeah. So I might, I might still get some good use out of it for birding and and other little hobbies. Yeah. 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 Sounds good. Uh, what else? Oh yeah. The Lunt. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to mention the, the Lunt Herschel wedge. So this is basically another diagonal, but it's for viewing the sun. Um, so there's three popular ways to view the sun, which we've talked about. Um, you can uh, get a dedicated hydrogen alpha telescope to observe the sun. You can get um, uh, like a white light filter, which goes over the the uh, uh, front of your telescope, whatever telescope you're using, and then it filters all of the sunlight coming in. Or if you have uh, a refractor or like a Cassegrain, anything that needs a diagonal, um, actually you can't use these with Cassegrains. These might just be refractor only now that I'm thinking of this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you can get uh, a Herschel wedge. So you, you put this into the telescope like you would your traditional diagonal, um, but it has the white light filter basically built into it. Hmm. So it's, it's considered to be safer because a white light filter could put, you know, I guess theoretically fall off of your telescope if it's not put on properly, especially on a windy day. Um, so, you know, having the diagonal in there, you, you know, you're, you're pretty safe. Um, and then other people say that for white light observing a Herschel wedge, uh, provides the best view. Um, now, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if this is kind of a splitting hair comparison, um, to a white light filter. There's, there's various opinions online. Um, so I'll do a little bit of testing with it, but anyway, it was a used one that came up on Canada, the, uh, Canadian astrobicell.com website. Mm-hmm. Um, so the price was pretty good and I've always kind of wanted one because, you know, when we go out observing, like particularly on like weekend trips where you're out for a few days, um, it's pretty easy just to throw this into the kit to have, uh, some daytime observing opportunities as well. You know, it doesn't yeah. take up much space and, uh, gives you something to do. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah. So what presentation are you getting ready for, uh, Friday? Oh, so the, uh, the local astronomy club here in Regina, uh, has their monthly meeting and I agreed to give a presentation on small telescope observing. Um, oh, cool. yeah, you know, I don't think that there's a lot of, I know there's a number of members that have small telescopes, but mm-hmm. I don't know if we've ever had a meeting topic that really was dedicated to that. You know, mm-hmm. we've had some meetings that talk about binocular observing, which wouldn't be too far off. Um, but anyway, I just want to, um, talk a little bit about that. So I've got, uh, probably about a 45 minute presentation ready to roll. Just cool. need to polish it up and it'll be ready. So are those done over zoom or something like that or? Yeah. Yeah. They are being done over zoom, which is really good. Um, you know, back in the day before, uh, COVID, um, the monthly meeting you would get probably, <clears throat> you know, 10 to 15, maybe 25 people on a, you know, a good night when, when there's an engaging speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, uh, with zoom, I think they're getting like 50 to 75 people, uh, for these meetings because it's just so much easier. Uh, and then people from all over the world can really attend it. Yeah. Um, so that's good. And, and what, what's really good is they've, uh, the club's invested in some sort of, uh, I don't know, microphone system so that when we can kind of get back to normal and the meetings are back at the science center, they will be able to use this microphone system to still zoom, like stream the meeting to anybody, you know, that's in the province. So nice. Um, that's really good. Yeah. You know, I, I love, I love hearing of, of, um, I don't know, like kind of opportunities that have come out of COVID and, uh, being able to improve how we do some things because of, you know, the experiences that were forced upon us. So, um, you know, I think with a lot of clubs, uh, the outreach aspect um, of using digital technology has been a real like kind of benefit, I guess, or, or eye opener for a lot of people during the pandemic. Yeah. No, cool. Cool. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Really good. Yeah, yeah. Really good. Yeah. Um, so I, I finished go ahead. my course this week. <laughs> my two oh. So that was, that was, uh, sort of my, my bit of presenting. I was, I was, uh, taking a look I've done, I've done uh, 14 courses since 2017. I think before that, I'd I'd done about uh, almost almost as many, um, no, a few more. So I think I'm at 32 or 33 uh, astronomy courses that I've that I've taught now. And uh, this one was different though. I just did two weeks and tried 
tried to do everything in, in two weeks. And uh, so that was, uh, that was kind of a, a new experience. So I kind of hit, hit things a little bit more in a, in a lighter way, I guess. Mm. I, feel, I feel like maybe two weeks was a little light. So I kind of I did sort of like the sun and the moon and, and uh, aurora and meteors, the first class. And then I did the planets and stars in the next class. And I think probably, probably three, three sessions would be, uh, would be the minimum, unless I focused on just one, one thing uh, specifically. Uh, so I might, uh, I might, if I did another two week one, I think uh, I would uh, probably just, just focus on something uh, very, very specific. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that might've been just a little, a little too broad. Um, but yeah, it was, it was good. And now I'm going, I'm going to do a four week one on, uh, spring and summer stargazing. So, uh, yeah, that's sort of more of my, my typical one. Um, and then the other thing is, is that I find that when, when we get at least four weeks, um, you get a whole, you get kind of a whole lunation, right? So, so there's going to be times when the moon is visible. There's going to be times when the sky is dark. Um, there's going to be weeks that are, that are clear when, when people aren't, some people aren't free. And then there's going to be weeks that are cloudy and, you know, and then there's going to be other weeks that are, that are clear when people are free. So usually everybody kind of gets an opportunity to take a look at a few things in the sky and come back and ask questions. And that's one of the things I really like doing when I, when I do uh, these courses is that people can go out try to take a look for themselves and then kind of report back. But I found like uh, in just a two week session, there wasn't the opportunity for that. Uh, not nearly as, as much as, as when I do four weeks. Um, and then I, I, I've done quite a few, actually, most of the ones I've done have been eight weeks in length, which uh, as a volunteer doing this, I find that that just starts to seem a little bit long. I did one that was five weeks um, this year, just like as a total one-off. And uh, I thought that one was, was pretty decent. So, but I don't really get to pick and choose that much. The, the university kind of determines how long uh, the courses will be. And um, I, I now have been doing it long enough where I get to, I get to kind of pick my nights a little bit, but, uh, but usually they, they determine how long they'll be, uh, how many hours I'll put into them and all this stuff. So um, it's all good, but uh but I think, yeah, I think like the four or five week sessions is, is kind of the sweet spot. So anyway, yeah. So that's kind of, kind of where I am. And uh, yeah, I've been chatting with, uh, with some of my, uh, some of our, our partners, actually, one of them is, uh, is the Nature Conservancy of Canada. I've been chatting with them quite a bit. Um, mm. you know, I've done some stuff with them in the past and uh, I'm just I'm not even doing like a full presentation. I'm just doing like a half presentation. They want it one on um, astronomy and astrophotography. And, uh, so for whatever reason, maybe, maybe the person who's doing the photography just isn't, uh, as familiar. Maybe they just want to have some, some, uh, it's kind of to mix things up a little bit. So I'm going to just do a little bit on the stargazing, um, which I know a fair bit about. And then that person's going to chat about, uh, astrophotography, uh, and that sort of thing, uh, which is something I know virtually nothing about other than what I've learned from you. So, so that's happening in, in July. So anyway, should be an interesting thing. Uh, be nice to get down and, uh, and go to old man on its back someday and actually do some astronomy there. I've been there two or three times now, but I, I it always syncs up with poor weather. The night you and I went, uh, we had poor weather as well. And then it got very windy. 
Yeah, that night, like, you know, we're used to prairie, well, you know, maybe me a little bit more than you because I grew up here, but quite used to prairie storms in the summertime, you know, these mm. big, big thunderstorms come rolling through and, the, you know, they come pretty quick and, you know, rain for 20 minutes and then they're gone. Um, and that night, I don't believe I've ever seen that much lightning before. Like that was an incredible storm that rolled through. Um, so yeah, we, you know, our intent that time was to go there and do sort of a, like a localized, I think, star party and kind of awareness of dark skies. Yeah. With the and, NCC uh, uh, volunteers. Yeah. Yeah. And it just didn't work out, unfortunately, because of the, the terrible weather. So we just gave like an ad hoc, you know, verbal conversation presentation sort of indoors. But yeah, um, it, it's, that's an incredible place. Like that's one of the more desolate places around uh, in this province anyway. And, you know, Grasslands National Park used to be like that, but you know, they've done a lot of park development uh, over the past 10 or 12 years, mm -hmm. um, which is really nice. It makes your stay more comfortable, but it also brings more lights and, you know, that sort of stuff that us astronomers don't really appreciate. Yeah. Um, so, you know, old man on his back is a, uh, like there's, there's nothing darker probably <laughs> in, in this province, uh, at least, you know, that's somewhat accessible. Yeah. The weather there does seem to be, um, very severe in, in that neck of the woods though, for whatever reason. Um, cause I know that then, uh, I think it was, whether it was the following year or, or the year after then, then, uh, our friend Rick went down and he really got nailed by a storm like that, that made the storm that we had just looked like a, a wind gust, I guess. And, uh, there was uh, yeah. a fair bit of damage from it apparently. <laughs> so, yeah. well, you know, I'm really getting the itch to, to get out. Um, I don't know, you know, May 11th, I guess, or, or some couple of weeks away, uh, maybe one week away. I'd have to look at my calendar, but we're getting pretty close to new moon. And uh, I definitely want to get out and, and do some kind of observing outside of the city. Yeah. Well, the, the moon now is, and, and just because of the, uh, the lunar anima, uh, the way that the moon orbits and the way that our seasons go, like sometimes it jogs ahead of, uh, of its full moon and then sometimes it kind of jogs behind and we're in, we're in the part now where uh, we're almost right after full moon like within three days you can you can be observing so i, I couldn't sleep it was two nights ago and i mean the moon rose at 3 a.m or something i mean or 2 30 so it it's you know when it's dark now at 10 30 i mean you got four or five hours of darkness uh tonight anyway in oh, fact, yeah, I, yeah. I think tonight the moon doesn't rise until it's getting light out. So uh, just just happens to be the way it is uh, in the springtime sky. It's sort of one of those strange things. And then, of course, in the fall, it's the reverse, which which isn't as much fun. Where where yeah. you know it seems like it seems like you, you can't observe until almost new moon, and then we kind of we just get used to that, and then uh, all of a sudden it it switches. It seems like it's very very quick. You you miss a couple months because of the cold weather. And then suddenly it's, it's the reverse. So, so yeah, so I actually uh, took a few days off here coming up uh, in case we do get some, some clear skies, but I actually think the following week uh, may be better than, than what we have coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I sure hope we get some opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. So let's see, you're selling your nine millimeter delight. <laughs> yeah. Well, last week no, I was complaining. No delight, about, eh? <laughs> no delight with the nine millimeter. Um, I was complaining last week about the eye placement that mm. you have to adjust the cup upwards and then it's not bad, but like just putting the caps on, maybe I'm squeezing too hard, but like 
you know, I, I don't think I was, and I would move the the eye cup adjustment. And uh, anyway, I don't love it. And um, I thought maybe it's just me, or maybe it's the telescope. Um, but I was reading online, and it sounds like it's an issue with all of the uh, lower focal length delights. Like Bill mm. Paoloni even chimed in on cloudy nights and, and said, "Yeah, the uh, the lower focal lengths have eye placement issues, and you have to adjust the eye cup just right for you, and then they're great, and um, that's cool." But eh, you know, I just uh, that kind of stuff frustrates me. So. Yeah. Um, the 15 millimeter is awesome. Like I, I have no issues with it. Um, mm. and now that I have the Pentax 8.5 millimeter XF, which is a super yeah. comfortable eyepiece. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I gain just like, I think the XF is a 60 degree field of view and the delight yep. is like 63. So, yeah. you know, I'm losing just a small little bit of field of view. Um, and it's actually a smaller, the, the Pentax is a smaller physical eyepiece. And I think it might be a touch lighter as well. So yeah. Um, not a lot of reasons for me to keep the delight. Yeah, no, I, I hear you on that. Like, yeah, it's funny. Sometimes you read like these, these amazing things about different eyepieces and then you get them and it's like, well, no one said that, you know, <laughs> like it's, you know, sometimes things just aren't, aren't, you know, and it goes both ways. Like, um, you know, one of my most used eyepieces going to talk about this here in a second is, is an old wide scan three 30 millimeter supposed to be about an 80 or 85 degree field of view. I think it's a little less than that though. And uh, a lot of people don't give it any love at all. Um, I think it's awesome. It's, it's fairly light, has a super wide field of view. Um, and I, I, you know, considering the cost was uh, not, not that much money, I think it performs pretty well. And I think you can get like knockoffs for like $99 US um, of it. And uh, I think, I think they're great. Um, I don't mind that the edge of field isn't totally sharp because it is so wide. And then when you're using nebula filters, like I use, um, it's not that, that big a deal anyway. Um, but I also have the, the Pentax XW. It's not near as, as nice, uh, a field of view. It's not as sharp, uh, as the Pentax, but, uh, the difference is, is in the weight and the, the Pentax weighs about a Coke can heavier kind of thing, about another six or eight ounces. And that's the difference between having to rebalance the telescope and not. So when I'm observing and I want to use more than just uh, one low power eyepiece, well, uh, I'm using the 30 millimeter just because uh, it uh, doesn't require me to rebalance the telescope all the time, all night. So, um, you know, that, that just kind of works well for me. But then I know lots of people that, uh, that really kind of frown on those eyepieces and, you know, uh, th that's their own thing. And then on the flip side, I own the doctor. Uh, 12 and a half millimeter, which is, which is my most expensive eyepiece. And, um, and now I, I think it does have an, just this incredibly, uh, sharp field of view. It, it really does. I find the eye placement is, uh, it's acceptable, but it's not, it's not amazing. Like I, I don't think the eye and, but you'll see people will write about the eye placement on that as being sort of second to none or whatever. But for me, like for, for, for me personally, um, I think it's fine. Um, and the, and certainly the eyepiece performance is awesome. Um, but the eyepiece is kind of heavy. And like I said, you really have to kind of get square to, to the islands, um, pretty accurately that it, it's not, uh, it's not as forgiving as, as I would have thought based, based on the reviews, but it's, it's an incredibly sharp eyepiece. So, you know, it has, has that going for it for sure. Yeah. That's an eyepiece. I really would like to look through once we're able to observe together again. Um, 
because ever ever since that eyepiece was released, and that was like a long time ago, um, I've yeah. always been intrigued by it because it just gets nothing but fantastic reviews. And it's kind of a it's it's a real nice focal length at twelve and a half millimeters, um, and super wide field. Like everything about it just seems like the perfect eyepiece. Yeah, the the place where it really shines um, is sort of in some of the odd configurations that you and I are using. And, and again, this comes down to very particular uh, equipment. Like I, I don't think it's necessarily um, the best eyepiece for someone that might be using like a more traditional, I don't know, like eight inch f six daub type type deal um i'm sure it would work great in that telescope but you know when you when you throw it in something like the borg the mini borg uh, f5 you know super like pretty fast and then small focal length um so it's just inherently going to have have a lot of field curvature um it's more like a spotting scope than a telescope um and that's where this uh, this doctor excels and because i have mm-hmm. several telescopes that that are like this I feel like it makes a lot of sense for me, me to own such such an eyepiece. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, it seems like at least for my eye and the way that my eye works, and with that telescope, um, the whole field of view seems super sharp. So uh, you know that that that's pretty impressive on a on a little short, fast, uh, almost spotting type uh, telescope like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and and the the doctor and and like your XWs. Um, the Nikon navs, like they're all basically spotting telescope eyepieces. So they do work yeah. well in those, uh, you know, shorter focal length telescopes. Yeah. And I know like I own the uh, 20 millimeter XW, which I think is the XW that gets the least love. Um, and every time I, I think about selling it and then I, then I use it, I'm like, I'm not selling this. Um, but I've compared it. I've had a lot of different 20 millimeter eyepieces. Cause I'm like, this, this is a, a good focal length eyepiece to have for my gear. And, uh, whenever I get another eyepiece or, or compare another eyepiece, I, I just end up not keeping that eyepiece or not buying it. And, uh, and, and just favoring the XW just, just because it's so, so comfortable to look through the edge isn't, um, as sharp. Like it's, it doesn't really. Uh, work as well in these smaller telescopes because of the uh, any of the field curvature that they they have seems to uh, not work as well for that eyepiece. I, I don't get in the technicalities. I, I don't really understand the ins and outs of why it doesn't work as well, but uh, but certainly it, it it does end up challenged by them a bit. But in the in the fall there, you know, I was I I got some of these inexpensive uh, twenty millimeter eyepieces. Um, just for whatever reason. And I was comparing them to, to the XW. And I mean, there's no comparison. The XW is, was way better. And I had some other like wide field plossels that were sort of vintage and had a good reputation. Um, tried, uh, there was, there was an Orion eyepiece I tried at one point in time that I think it's out of production hour or something, but anyway, um, just try to hold different variety of eyepieces. The only one, the only one that I might like a little bit more is uh i think mike has the 20 millimeter uh type five i think that's what it is and Nick although that Nickler? yeah yeah that doesn't work as well with my glasses mm-hmm. um but i i felt like it worked well enough that i might get one someday and i just think that's a phenomenal eyepiece uh out of production of course right so of course yeah 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 i don't think i've looked through that one too much um uh, well, you know, the Nagler's are, are fine eyepieces, but 
some of them just really don't have much for eye relief and, and does not work well for guys like you and me with glasses. Yeah, I, I sort of, I, and and it's there's some people, it seems like they love every Nagler or every eyepiece Teleview makes. Um, I don't, I don't fall into that category at the same time. Um, there's some of the eyepieces and unfortunately it always seems like the ones they discontinue that are the ones that I really love. Um, one of them, I, I tried at a star party once was the Nagler, uh, 26. I thought mm-hmm. that was awesome. I always wanted to buy it. I decided to buy it and then it went out of production. Yeah. I think when the, uh, what was it? The 21 millimeter ethos was yeah. released. They ended yeah. the 26 Nagler because they're, they provide a pretty similar field of view, I think, if I remember correctly. Something like um, that. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, there, there's others like me, but there, there, I don't think there's a lot of us, but I don't like a hundred degree view, uh, field of view, at least a few times I've looked through an ethos. Um, yeah. I don't enjoy it because I like, even out of my peripheral, I can't see the entire field of view. It's, it's huge. Like it, it's incredible. But like, to me, if I, if I really have to like look left to see that part of the field of view, um, it's just too much, you know, like I, I don't need that. I, I, you know, and maybe this is why I'm, I'm quite tolerant of like 60 degree field of views. Like to me, that's a great field of view. And I don't mind smaller field of views than that either. They're, they're quite acceptable to me. So maybe, maybe there's a lot of factors there, but, um, uh, where I'm going with that is like the Nagler's at 84 degrees or whatever they are. Um, that's about as much field as I need, you know, in terms of my observing preferences. Yeah, I know. I hear you on that. I hear you on that for sure. So yeah, with, um, uh, yeah, with, with the televues, yeah, some of them I do really like though. Um, but the, the ideal situation was when I lived in Ontario and I, I knew I, I would observe with all these other observers and I think pretty much between the other people I observed with, they had the full set of uh, ethos eyepieces and I had most of the Pentax. So that was great. Sort of best, best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Well, and I think where the ethos is really shine is like, um, like Bill's telescope last week, you know, with his, his, um, uh, 20 inch F 3.3 and that 25 inch that's in that observatory, um, with those Newtonians, like the hundred degree field of view really opens up those telescopes because the field of view is a little bit limiting. Um, and also Cassegrains, you know, like real long focal length Cassegrains, um, are sort of renowned for like, um, uh, uh like a, a narrower field of view. Um, so the ethos just help you get around that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I keep looking and, and I keep thinking I'd really like to try one of the explore scientifics. The, uh, the 17 millimeter really, uh, appeals to me. And, uh, I think that's one I'm probably gonna, gonna try, uh, at some point in time. And, and like you, I was looking at some of the other thirties, like the APM 30. Um, but probably I'm going to go with something like the Massiama 32 because, I, I, I hear it's very similar to the wide scan three. In fact, I hear the mass salmon might just be a hair better. It's going to have modern coatings and it's about three ounces lighter still. So I feel like I'm really going to get that, uh, that great balance between that eyepiece and, uh, and my other eyepieces. So, you know, in fact, the, uh, the doctor is, is 18 ounces. My current wide scan three is 18 ounces. Um, so they work in, in perfect harmony, but I, I think, you know, typically a, a, a few ounces isn't going to make uh, too big a difference. Yeah. That's an eyepiece I've always 
been intrigued by, by as well as that Macyama. So if you get that one, I'm, I'll, I'll line up to view through that as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So I was, uh, I was monkeying around with my, uh, with my mini Borg, uh, this week and I was able to get it, um, to focus with, with the two inch eye pieces, um, by kind of jury rigging it inside my guide scope rings, um, which I'd used as, as, uh, as part of a finder system I had before. And, uh, I have an old ex- two inch extension. I threw that in threw in, you know, a bunch of the different pieces and parts that I had around the house. So I was able to figure out where the wide scan three and the doctor come to focus. Um, and they're about, what are they? Eight millimeters apart. So I've been uh, taking a look at maybe ordering some parts from Japan. Um, I think it's the key OEI. I think it's the name of the store in Japan that will uh, sell uh, to North America if you order enough stuff. So I was looking at kind of putting, putting a bunch of things together. Some of the other things I've been looking for, uh, and, uh, and getting, getting my, my board mini properly, uh, properly outfitted, uh, for, for a few hundred bucks, uh, you know, finally get all, all the little parts that I need to actually get my, get my eyepieces to, uh, to come to focus on that. But, um, the wide scan three though, I mean, it, it was, uh, bloated stars on the edge. Pretty good though. I was a little bit disappointed in, in how bloated those stars looked, but yeah, well, when you, you take a fast telescope, like the mini Borg and then an eyepiece that already doesn't have the best edge correction, that's, yeah, that's a recipe for not so good. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so we'll see. Um, I mean, it gave a really big field of view. The, the other thing is I find it difficult to test really wide fields in the city because, uh, that that's not where, where the wide fields are going to excel. They're going to excel when you're at a dark sky, looking at large extended objects, which are invisible from the city or scanning the Milky Way, which is also pretty much invisible from the city as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. Um, although, you know, strangely enough, I've really been enjoying my uh, 41 millimeter panoptic from the city. Um, I, I've never really used a lot of wide fields from the city for all of those reasons you just mentioned. Yep. But yeah, lately, really, really like it. Um, it just... Uh, like star hopping, you know, through constellations, um, that don't have a lot of bright guide stars to, uh, kind of lead you with, um, that wide field of view just really helps me jump around and find what I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I was testing though, I, I was, uh, using the new Burlabac 212 tripod that I, uh, that I bought. Oh yeah. 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 And, and? boy. I got to say, you know, this is one of those, those sort of rare, uh, times where, you know, you do read the reviews and people just say, oh yeah, just the Burlaback, it's kind of game changer kind of thing or whatever. And you're like, well, see how good it is. Um, and man, it is that good. I can't express how good that Burlaback tripod is. I mean, it is so light. Like, um, I have a very lightweight Manfrotto. Um, which I bought used and it's, it's pretty banged up. Um, but it's sort of my quick grab and go and I want to take a light scope and I just want to look for something on the horizon. I'm not going to, I don't, you know, it doesn't go up very high. Um, and this, this Burla back at its, at its highest setting is, is about as high or maybe a little bit higher than that, uh, tripod. Um, the Burla back weighs maybe a pound and a half or so heavier than, than that little tiny one which doesn't have very good weight carrying capacity. I think it's like eight or nine pounds or something. So once I load up my F5, 80 millimeter on it, 
uh, diagonal and eyepiece and a small LDAS mount. It, it's at its max. In fact, it's, it's really getting taxed. Um, so this Burlaback feels more like that tripod than anything else I have. And I have one of the large sort of almost video camera type uh, tripods like you have. Um, and it doesn't feel anywhere near as heavy as that. Um, but the performance is, uh, is like far and above a next level beyond that, uh, that heavier Manfrotto. So it feels more like the small Manfrotto, but it performs more like my, in fact, I think it performs or, or would outperform my 18 pound steel tripod. Um, <laughs> it's quite ridiculous how, how good, um, it feels. It's all, it also just feels good to use. Like, uh, everything's very smooth. Um, yeah, just just worked really, really well. I was really surprised how how good it was. Um, put the little uh, Skywatcher EZ GTI or EZ GTI on top of it, and yeah, just went out and it's just just like butter, you know. <laughs> the thing just is smooth as smooth can be. And I was on my deck, which doesn't have very good uh, vibration dampening, and usually when the cars go by, I, I can see it. Now I was using very low power, but. Uh, but when the cars were going by on that, I mean, honestly, I, I couldn't see any of the vibration. Um, usually I can at least see some, but uh, yeah, I was kind of surprised. It just sort of soaked up just that, that last little bit of vibration I, I was getting. Um, I would say basically it works about as good as my heavier Manfrotto does when I put it on vibration pads. Um, but uh, the, the Burlaback kind of already has little vibration pads in it. And it's also a wooden tripod. And it has um, like a lock spreader on it, so yeah, it is. Uh, it's really, really nice. That that is just a, a really nice uh, little tripod. Um, I I, had, I was trying to figure out what one to get, and I had thought I I should get um, one of the larger ones uh, for carrying the hundred millimeter. Um, but people say that this one it works great with with this one. It's a it's a slightly shorter one than some of the other ones I was looking at. So it says that. Because it's shorter, um, it does have a little bit more weight carrying capacity. I think it's around 44 or 45 pounds. And, uh, and yeah, it definitely does. And then as well, like it's basically the same height as my little uh, Manfrotto, give or take. And, and so I like the fact that it feels more like that. But then it has this uh, just extraordinary uh, vibration uh, dampening ability. Um, it's just shocking how good, how good it works. So I know Shane, you were talking about maybe building your own wooden tripod, but, uh, I gotta say, man, these, uh, these Burlaback, uh, tripods, uh, at least in my, my brief experience with that one, uh, I was blown away. Well, that's encouraging. Yeah. Like, um, I, you know, it's still on my list as a potential buy, um, you know, getting a Burlaback tripod. Um, but I think I'm, I think I'm going to take a crack at making my own wood legs. Um, like, you know, really a tripod is, is the middle or sorry, the metal base for your mount and then just a you know, three wood sticks coming off of it. Um, so I was just going to retrofit one of my existing tripods to take the metal bracket or whatever it is at the top and then just, you know, put some new, uh, wood legs around it because wood has better vibration dampening characteristics than metal does. Yeah, um, which is why you know wood is desirable. Um, now the tricky part with making a tripod, uh, at least for my skills, would be um, just the adjustable leg height. Um, but you know, I don't know if I care about that to be honest. Um, you know, I, I, have a, a, I have a truck, so whenever I go observing, I have a lot of space to uh, throw a tripod into the truck. 
Um, so I'm thinking of just like fixed length uh, wood legs made out of uh, ash wood because uh, ash is one of the better uh, hardwoods that you can use for a tripod. It has um, some of the better vibration dampening characteristics. And I actually don't think it'll be too hard to, uh, you know, to fashion that, uh, to, to make those legs work for my tripod base or mount base, I guess. I'm not sure. Um, anyway, before I do all of it, I, I want to see what my uh, input costs would be. And, um, you know, if it's uh, reasonable, I'll, I'll give it a try. Um, if my input costs start creeping up towards, you know, the, say half the cost of a Burlaback tripod, I, I might just spring for the Burlaback because I know that will work and be awesome. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of uh, craving a, a bit of a project as well. So, um, it. So I think next weekend I'll go to the, the local wood place that has fancy woods and just see what it will uh, cost. Is that what it's called? Fancy woods? I don't know. That's what I call it. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. I, uh, I also was able to uh, get that Nebustar filter, the two oh, inch, yeah. Uh, beta. Yeah. So that, that was pretty exciting. Um, and and what what I'm doing here is I'm upgrading my original two inch filter set. So I I um, had originally purchased uh, an O3 and an H beta and a UHC filter, sort of like the the most inexpensive ones that you could have gotten about uh, twelve or fourteen years ago now, I guess. And then or and I've used them tons. I didn't know how much I would I would use these filters, and I I've definitely got my my use out of them. And then. Um, just over the years, um, they've kind of gotten dinged and dusty and scratched and, you know, they're still good, but, um, I end up getting, a an excellent deal on a filter slide from Lumicon, um, for about like, I don't know, about 20% of, uh, of the typical cost. And so, I, uh, these filters that I had didn't fit. So I've been upgrading my filters this spring, got the, uh, Teleview two inch, uh, each beta now to go with my Lumicon O3 and Lumicon UHC and it fit, it actually threaded in, um, beautifully. So I'm oh, really happy. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really happy with that. So haven't had a chance to, to use them yet. The, that's sort of going to be uh, uh, dark sky kind of thing. So, uh, you know, I'll just have to, uh, have to give that a shot. Uh, once we get to the dark skies again. Yeah. Hopefully sooner than later. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.